Let's try this again. We're back. It's like Zeke always finds the squeaky toys when we're recording. <laughs> your favorite, favorite New York. How much we love New York and how perfect it is. Me too. No way. Were we, we together? We might have been together. I have to. Our Greek. And use our codes because you know Katie loves. I love the codes. Check them in the bio. Okay. Welcome back, everybody. Happy Thursday. We're here. <laughs> we're here. I know. This is, we're back from our hiatus. We're, yeah. we dropped our two video episodes, and now we're back with a more normal, like, format. Okay. Okay, we're really back. Oh, and if anybody's watching on camera, say hi to Zeke. Angel. That's Zeke. <laughs> um... This week's episode is with Dino Varelli, who is the founder and CEO of Project Purple, which is a pancreatic cancer organization um, that raises awareness. It provides financial aid for families. Yeah, affected. It's a really amazing organization. It's amazing. And it's and to hear his story is really cool. Yeah, he's got a really personal connection to pancreatic cancer, as do I. So it was a really cool episode. And November is Pancreatic Cancer Awareness Month, and Thursday is World Pancreatic Cancer Day. Today. So the day that you're listening yeah. is World Pancreatic wear Cancer. Wear purple. Yes, everybody wear purple. We should have done purple today. I know. That was our bad. I'm going to be wearing purple on Thursday. Thursday, we'll wear purple. Um, We also talked a lot about food with him. He's Italian-American, so he's got top taste buds. Um, Yeah, so we definitely covered our food segment. Yeah. um, For sure, and kept it true to our quarter food. And we saw him at a restaurant unplanned the week after we recorded it was exactly a week after his f in the interview is kyu which is Mm -hmm. a new restaurant in new york but was original the original is in miami um and you know was there with his whole team on a friday he had already tried the miami one who's trying the new york one for the first time he used it as an his f for food and katie and i were also trying it the same night the same night and i didn't Dying to try the Miami one, and it's so hard to get a reservation at. The food, it was so worth it. I loved it. I, I want to go back. It. Yeah, I'm dying to go back. Like, really good vibe. It was a good, good menu, music. good drinks, a pretty bar, like, aesthetically yeah. pleasing. We love that. Really. Katie and I, we made the mistake we sat in the front, mm-hmm. which if you want, like, a quieter, chiller vibe, sit in the front. Like, yeah. And it's, like, loungy-ish. Yeah. But the back, which is where Dino sat, he knew he was, what he was doing was if you're like popping here. in for just like a drink you could totally grab a table in the front yeah because like that's kind of where the bar is too but the back is definitely where I want to be next time yeah <laughs> like I walked back there lively. and Drake was playing and I was like wait a minute why are we in the we, front? we screwed up <laughs> yeah <laughs> honestly haven't been we haven't been doing much like I feel like we haven't this weekend I could have been hit by a bus I feel horrible because we went out once yeah for the first time in I feel like weeks I haven't been out like that in a really long time. Also, I feel like because you, like you moved, this was the first weekend where like we really got to enjoy yeah, your the area. area. True. 
and we were like we also so had, like we Loki had a lot this weekend. Like yeah, Saturday we had, two we had like parties. Yeah. Um, scaries were on another planet. I can't. So tired. Well, I have some really exciting I still have news. A headache. Last week, oh my god, I yeah. got my first ninety aura ring. Score. What? You have way more exciting news than that, bro. What? You're running the half marathon. Oh. <laughs> okay. Well, first of all, I got a 91 aura ring score, which like That's if you've big. been following my aura ring saga, mm-hmm. I've never gotten, I think an 86 was my highest. Okay. Which like I got an 88 last night. Like who am I? But um, I got a 91 last week and it was pretty top. I felt pretty dope. How'd you day. feel? It was like waking up and seeing that score beat any ACT score <laughs> midterm final that I've ever gotten the grade back from. But if you didn't know the score. Would I have known? I yeah. Thought, no. Okay. You know what? Got it. Yeah. No, I wouldn't. <laughs> okay. Like even I, I told the whole entire world and everybody was like, so how do you feel? I was like, I wish I could say, say like exceptionally You just better. felt like very accomplished because you saw the number. So accomplished. And I was like, I can't be tired today. Yeah. So like, I'm not going to be. Um, but yeah, besides that, I am running the half marathon actually for Project Purple. Yeah, that's like actually big news. <laughs> yeah. So I guess I really haven't spoken about it, but no, I used to be a marathon runner. My first marathon ever that I ran full marathon was with Project Purple um, five years ago. And I haven't done a full since then. I haven't done a half since 2018. So I basically I've been slacking and <laughs> I was cheering. It's okay, I ran a 5K. I kept it oh, going. Yeah. <laughs> you you kept it up. Um I was cheering the marathon runners on Sunday, two Sundays ago, and I was cheering with Project Purple. And Gone. I mean, I feel like I say it every year, like after Marathon Sunday, I'm like, oh, I'm definitely doing it next year. And like I haven't in four years. Yeah. Um but so my goal is, so I'm doing the half Enough. in March with Project I'm Purple. I'm so excited because I always watch the marathon and like, <laughs> instead of being like, oh my God, I wish I could run. I'm like, oh, I wish I had someone really close to me running that yeah. I could like follow and like actually cheer for. Yeah. So I'm very excited for the half in March. And then if all goes well in March, you heard it here first. Yeah. I'm doing the full in November. I'll document it. <laughs> no, like you- li- I'll watch. I need to. Uh, yeah. Listen to the episode and then you'll want to run it for Project Purple. Yeah. So just keep on listening. Keep on keeping on. Did you watch keep a Selena running. Gomez documentary? Yes. Oh my I God. I did. Wait, same. What are your thoughts? I have a lot of thoughts to be completely honest. Okay. Like a lot. It was really depressing. Yeah. Like, really had me down in the dumps. I agree. I felt so bad for her. Like, obviously, like, terrible. Like, she struggles for sure. But, like, I don't understand. Like, when... Like, we didn't see her work at all. Like, oh, when did she start Rare Beauty? That's it what just I didn't sort of like. Happened. The timeline was a little confusing. And, like, does she hate singing? Like, right. I don't understand. Right. Yeah. My... Okay, like, my... My confusion was, I was really, really sad. And like, I think the awareness that it brought to mental illness mm-hmm. was really good. But, but they I didn't wish, explain more even about the mental illness stuff. I agree. And you know what? Like I was listening to actually another podcast recapping it. And 
Like, so how is is, Right. <laughs> like, like it brought a lot of attention to mental illness, but then like, where's the hope that comes from that? Yeah, like, like how is she now? Clearly yes. she's doing well. Like, when did she start Rare Beauty? That I really need to know. Right, like, did that- Why makeup? Right. And like, when- like when did she record all these other songs like that just started releasing yeah i like, that was my only complaint like i felt like i f- finished the documentary feeling confused and depressed like well, i didn't yeah. i didn't like it didn't have that happy ending which maybe that's the point but like how is she doing now and like mm-hmm. like when she figured when she got her diagnosis and she went on medication and she started getting help specifically for her uh bipolar disorder mm-hmm. how did she start feeling then like yeah and like so many people live with bipolar disorder yeah so like i just feel like they could have brought a little more like optimism with her platform too you would think like and she's so successful yeah and like these things helped me like Mm -hmm. so yeah that was my the only thing i didn't love and then like i was just confused i also saw where like she didn't post she didn't mention the girl that gave her the kidney. Oh my god! I and didn't I even that real- was really messed up. Really messed up. What's and her I name? Didn't, Francia. Uh, yeah, she was. She was like well enough known. Yeah. Like, I don't. That was crazy to me. That was crazy to me. How do you just forget someone gave you a kidney? I agree. Like, no. I mean, if it was me, and I gave up a kidney. Oh, I was. So if you were Francia. Yeah, and I. What's her? I'm looking it up. I got zero mention or like appreciation also when did that happen no because also like god forbid Franchi has one kidney starts having an issue she doesn't have another one to back up on so like it was a big sacrifice yeah obviously but also like when did she have that surgery and you know what else i I started years ago i wish well they like briefly mentioned it with her about her lupus like they briefly mentioned the surgery but they didn't go into the details and i wish that they um, like there are so many rumors circulating about Selena Gomez when it comes to her lupus and mm-hmm. even like her, these like mental breaks so that many. she's had. There's a lot of rumors of like substance abuse and partying and mm-hmm. that stuff. Like they didn't acknowledge any of that. They didn't acknowledge any of that. And None like, of it. It's a, it's a shame because mm-hmm. if she did have substance abuse issues that she struggled with, like, that would have been an amazing opportunity to address those and to raise awareness to that. And then to also like provide a little more color around her mental illness. Oh yeah, for sure. No, they didn't say anything. Francia um, Raza. Yeah. Raza. Justice. Really pretty. Justice for Francia. No, seriously. Seriously. Um, we'll give her the shout out and the credit here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thanks for giving the, the kidney. <laughs> Let us know. It doesn't go unrecognized by us. <laughs> yeah. No. I don't know. I just like wish, like I kind of feel like I got like more answers from like Haley Bieber's 45 minute interview with Alex Cooper mm-hmm. than I did with Selena's documentary. Love yeah. I love Selena too though. I don't want, I do, to think I don't I like do really her. like Selena. Um, yeah. So that's our recap of that. Okay, yeah. go on. Glad you brought that up. All right. Well, keep listening for the interview with Dino. um, And don't forget to share, rate, and subscribe to our podcast and share it with all of your New Yorker friends. Yes. 
So to start, will you tell us a little about yourself? Where are you from and what do you do? Yeah, so uh, tell you a little bit about myself. I'm the founder and CEO of Project Purple. We're based in Connecticut in a small, sleepy town, uh, about an hour and a half north of um, New York City in Seymour, Connecticut. Um, I'm originally from Bridgeport, Connecticut. I've been born and raised in Connecticut, uh, spent a couple years um, in Rhode Island for college, spent a couple years in Boston post-college, and then made my way back to Connecticut um, and started my professional career. Awesome. Real New Englander. Yeah. I know this is about New York, and I'm not, <laughs> I love coming to New York. Don't get me wrong. Um, so something you always ask ask your guests on the Project Purple podcast is what's your why? So what is your why? Why did you start Project Purple and what's your relationship with pancreatic cancer? Yeah, so I'll, so my relationship with pancreatic cancer is I lost my dad. So my dad was diagnosed in 2010. He's actually diagnosed in December of 08 and then re-diagnosed in 2010. And then that's what was really the inspiration. He was the inspiration for Project Purple. That was really the main reason for it. And it, clearly that has evolved over the last 12 years since we've been in, in existence. Um, so that that was really the, the main inspiration. And, and it was really... The inspiration was my dad, but it was really going through the process with him. I became his chauffeur during his uh, fight um, for my mom and dad. Like I was just there for everything. And I just saw a lot of cracks in the system. Um, initially, of course, I wanted to try to cure my dad, help my dad, right, uh, with his fight. Uh, but I realized um, fairly quickly that that wasn't going to be a reality. So like, how could I help other people? And I think it just really evolved and grew you know, into something that, um, you know, I'm a big dreamer. I always consider myself an entrepreneur. I, 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 let me back up. I never considered myself an entrepreneur until I started my own business. And then you start reading, you start meeting people, and then you realize like, wow, you have these traits and hindsight, as they say, is always 20, right? And you look back, like I was a pay, I had a paper boy. I was a paper boy growing up. Um, I had a paper route and I was kind of always like hustling and trying to like you know, at the time I was big in the BMX and basketball. So I was always trying to find ways to, to raise money for my basketball shoes um, and for my BMX bike. Right. And so I look back at these little things. And then when I went to college, like I was hustling, selling t-shirts uh, on the side so that, you know, we could, you know, play more bat or, you know, buy certain things. I think at that time it was actually to go out and drink. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> hopefully my mom's not going to watch this, but you know, the, you know, there were things like that, you know, so I look back. And so I, I, I now consider myself uh, an entrepreneur. And I think, you know, looking back at this experience with my dad, like there were, there were instances where I realized that entrepreneurial spirit really came out mm -hmm. uh, and I've embraced that. And, and, and that's a, it's a great thing. You know, I, I think, um, you know, I'm not trying to be disrespectful to anyone, but I think those types of people that have that entrepreneurial spirit are those that hopefully lead change for the greater good of the world, right? That go out on a limb and, you know, being an entrepreneur is not easy, right? Uh, you know, to, to just jump into something, um, whether you have a plan or don't have a plan or you're going to figure it out, but to try to change and try to make the world a better place, um, not everyone's cut out to do that. And that's not a bad thing. I'm not trying to say that in a disrespectful manner, but, mm -hmm. you know, I embrace that. And so, um, you know, going back to when my dad was diagnosed, 
you know, there, there was just things that I saw and, um, you know, clearly, as I said, I wanted to help him. Um, that became um, not a reality very quick for us, you know, that I was going to save his life. Uh, but I was there. I was there to support him and get through whatever that was, uh, you know, during that time. And then um, when he passed, um, you know, we had started Project Purple really September of 2010. My dad passed away in September of 2011. But in that first okay. year, we didn't really do a lot. We did some. So he didn't really see a lot of it. Um, and, you know, the, the mission has evolved, clearly, and my motivation has evolved. And, and this answers your question about the why. Um, you know, my why in the beginning was my dad. And, you know, um, clearly, that has evolved, and it continues to evolve. And I think something that for me, I'm very big in the growth mindset and growth leads to things, you know, professionally, personally. So I'm always about growing and getting better and not necessarily getting stagnant in what I'm doing or what we're doing. So I, I think with that growth, your why changes. Right. Um, you know, the mission is still the same, right? We're here to help families through this journey of pancreatic cancer. We're fighting for a cure, early detection every day. Like that's constant. That's not changing. But that why, that motivation, why you get up every day, um, why we do certain things, that that does kind of that, that does change from time to time, um, just given the circumstances, right? Like we can look back and again, hindsight being 2020, you know, um, look at the pandemic, right? Like we, our model changed literally within like two weeks. Yeah. Right. So we had to kind of change that trajectory. Like our mission didn't change, but our why kind of changed, like why we're doing this. And it was almost like this, uh, you know, super important thing because cancer didn't stop, right? Like right. cancer didn't stop during the pandemic. Everything else did like, mm -hmm. you know, events and, you know, going out and, and socializing like that changed. But, you know, our, our why kind of shifted a bit, you know, became a little bit more important to do what we were doing. So I think to answer your question, you know, the why kind of changes, I think, from time to time. And that's part of growth. I think that's normal. And it's kind of like if you're if you're people watching, listening, like if you're a growth mind mindset and, you know, you're constantly trying to better improve yourself or improve what you do at work or improve your relationships with your family, friends, like you're constantly going to kind of adjust that a bit and you're going to grow and you know sometimes that's hard work um and that's kind of always evolving if that makes sense for me and i, I, yeah. I don't mean this they kind of dance around that but i think for me it's really kind of evolved you know yeah. and I, i've kind of looked at that like in the beginning it was about my dad but then it, it constantly evolved and I've said this often, it's life's not about being on top, it's about getting knocked down and then how you get back up. Right, right. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I think that makes sense. I think it's also very relatable specifically to entrepreneurs or to people who have started organizations such as yours. Like the why usually starts as something so specific and then as you continue to grow the organization or the business or whatever it is, you tend to learn more and like become motivated by so much more than just the one thing that you ended up starting with. Yeah, totally, totally. And, and I think that's part of growth, right? Mm -hmm. And I think you have to be, I think the one thing with being an entrepreneur is you have to be really flexible. Like you can't right. be too in the sense because like your your targets are gonna change. Again, COVID changed everything. Like oh, now yeah. we have budget and then now, okay, that's all thrown out. Like, okay. you know, 
and that was any business, right? You look yeah. at you could probably you could probably go through every industry during COVID and like everything was thrown out of the window, right? Because everything changed literally within two weeks. Yeah. Well, I think also it's interesting to note like your why starts usually personal and very specific. Mm-hmm. And it, again, it kind of goes down to all different types of entrepreneurs. It's they usually find something that they feel like they're missing or that's lacking in their personal life. And then it's like you start, the more you dive into it, you start identifying other, yeah, it, it lacking in other people's lives. And I'm sure for you as well, once you started seeing other families impacted by PC, it made you want to make an impact even more because you want to help others as well, not just how it's affected you and in your personal life. But um, that leads me into my next question. Like, what would you say the because you've been involved in this space for so long, what would you say like the biggest area of growth has been where you've seen the most improvement from when your dad was sick to now and stories you hear about now? And I and I guess off going off of that, what would you say is the area that we're still struggling in, in like whether that's early detection or whatnot or treatments, what would you say you think you still feel think needs the most growth you guys are coming quick with the hard <laughs> questions here uh and i and my two i had two coffees this morning because i wanted to be <laughs> okay good you were ready um so this is this is a really hard question and, I, and um i'm gonna be super transparent and mm-hmm. i may offend some people so i i think uh, let's answer the first part of that which is yeah. what's worked right like what's worked in 12 years I think there's there's definitely more heightened awareness, right? Like there is an awareness factor that I feel 12 years ago we did not have. And I, and I think there's some things to credit for that. Um, one of them being Alex Trebek. Yeah. So crazy. You know, when you look at the last 12 years, we've had some really big people pass from pancreatic cancer, which is awful, right? It's never a good thing. But, um, you know, one of which, which I thought would be, if you look back at, you know, these celebrities, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, right? And unfortunately, that did not take the turn that I thought it would. Uh, because the the social and the political activists got involved really quick when she passed and made it more of a political mm-hmm, thing. Right. Versus, hey, we have this, this icon. She is, she, you know, if we look at, I'll just sit here for a second and talk about awareness. If we look at the people who have passed from pancreatic cancer, and you look at a global perspective of like where people stand in terms of their, you know, their fame and, and their impact, she's probably at the top. I, I'm going right. to go out on a limb and say Ruth Bader Ginsburg for what she did for women's rights in the United States, the job she held. When we look at the pancreatic cancer space, she's probably at the very top. But when she died, it was all about politics, yeah, the disease, which was unfortunate, right? But Alex Trebek had this total opposite effect right like here's a guy and it was wild when he passed to realize how many people watch jeopardy worldwide right right like it was so fascinating and, and i kind of like you know be, again my parents immigrated to this country you know our routine when we were growing up was we watched jeopardy at mm-hmm. like seven o'clock yeah. like that's how my parents probably learned the majority of their american knowledge you know because they didn't my parents both stopped going to school at like the sixth grade because yeah. they had to get they had to be put on the farm to work right 
when they came here to the country, they they learned American, whether it was working in a factory or watching TV. That's what yeah. a lot of immigrants do, right? So Jeopardy was like this thing of like for us that was so like such a such a big part of our life. So I think Alex Trebek getting pancreatic cancer, dying from it was like huge for the pancreatic cancer space and raising awareness. So the good part is awareness has been like, I think amplified tremendously. The bad and, and where we still fail uh, is the research and the funding. You know, we're, we're still, you know, one of the least funded uh, cancers in the United States by the government. By the way, the government funds 80% of cancer research. Not a lot of people know wow. that. People think that it's done by philanthropy and private sources. That is true, right. um, but the government still funds 80% of cancer research in the United States, but less than 2% of the budget goes towards pancreatic cancer. But now wow. if you look at statistical data, pancreatic cancer has the lowest uh, survival rate of all the major cancers over five years. So if it's the worst, so we could say it's the worst cancer in terms of survivability of all the major cancers. We have no early detection. We have no uh, curative treatments. Surgery is an option for one in five. So if we look at this data of where the disease is, and we look at what's put into the disease from the largest funder of cancer research, it's less than 2%. So why is that? Um, so, so that was still the case. Now the statistics have changed a bit, like, you know, survivability, uh, that the, the survival rate when I started 12 years ago was like 5%. Now it's 11%, but again, it's still the lowest. It was the lowest back then. It's still the yeah. lowest now. So, you know, that has not changed. And that is super frustrating, you know, is that we haven't, you know, we, we I, you know, we applaud that. And I, I don't want to sound super negative. I mean, that's great. Like, that's a big jump. Like it almost doubled, right? Mm -hmm. Well, it's over doubled, right? Since I started five to 11 and 12 years. Okay, so we applaud that, but we're still really failing that, right? And so that's really the frustrating part. And, and I think there's 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 some things to note of that. And I'm going to be really transparent. I think our system here in the United States, um, what's the definition of insanity? Doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results, right? right. We're, we're kind of in this insanity with research, right? Like we constantly do the same thing and we're, we're getting, the, the, we're expecting different results, but we're getting the same results, right? right. So- we have to kind of think outside the box from, um, you know, the government is very strict in what they fund. They, they fund basic research. Um, we need some innovative ideas. We, we need people to stop. Um, you know, th there's, there's a thing in academia um, and this goes for centers and it goes for researchers. And I'm not going to call any of them out um, personally, like put names out there, but, but there's a lot of arrogance and there's a lot of, it's my research. I'm not going to share. Right. It's my. I'm not going to share. So like gatekeeping you know, within research. Correct, and you know, and, and I had a, a very probably one of the most prominent researchers tell me something about five years ago at a meeting up in Boston, and I asked him this exact question: Why is research so bad? Why are we so bad at this? And he said, Dino, you have to understand when. Um, these researchers that are that are really really intelligent really really smart mm -hmm. uh, we were nerds like we didn't go to the prom we didn't get the girl we didn't have any of the accolades going through high school and college we were in labs we were in our books like we were straight a students now that we get some recognition and now we are the prom king or queen we don't like giving that up 
Right. And when he said that, it was a it was a gentleman. It was a male. I was like, oh my god, man, that's so like that's so right, but that's so wrong. Right. So there's a lot of ego, you know. I mean, there's ego in every industry, right? Like this is not just we're not just talking about scientists here. And I'm not, and again, I'm not saying that this happens everywhere, mm-hmm. but I think if you have enough of it or you have institution control where the institution doesn't want to share with other institutions, that becomes, you start to add these things up. That becomes a big problem on why we're not making progress. Yeah. And patients, you know, are struggling, patients are dying, but you have arrogance and you have ego that get in the way in academia and in research. And yeah, some of it's probably ego, some of it's, you know, financial, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, certain doctors want the credit, they want to make the money, whatever they have, like a side deal with, uh, you know, some biomedical firm that, you know, they're selling, or they have an agreement that they're, you know, selling the patents, and they don't want to give away their, their research, because they're waiting for that big payday, whatever the reasons are. But I think until we kind of break down these barriers, as a as a whole, then we can really move this progress of early detection and curative treatments forward you know and 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 i think we are starting to see some things happen so the positive to that that's the negative but I, i think for us like we we encourage collaboration all of our research deals like hey if a researcher finds something he's got to share it you know we write that in our contracts i know a lot of the other groups in the space are encouraging collaboration the government has put out more grants encouraging collaboration um the other piece too that I'll throw in here is pharma. I mean, pharma yeah. has, I mean, if we look at the pandemic, right? And I'm not gonna go down the road of, you know, I'm not a COVID expert, yeah. but if you just look at if you just look at what happened with COVID and how quick we were able to come up with something that, you know, the experts say work. Right. Uh, it, it's just so crazy how how we okay, so how can we do that? But we can't figure this out for cancer, right? right. Like, mm-hmm. Right. And the billions, I mean, it's now become trillions, right? This has become a trillion dollar space with COVID. Like we could do that for cancer and that frustrates the hell out of me. Right. Yeah. Like you see that. So pharma, my point here is pharma has been very resistant to spend money in the PC space. And the reason being is they're for profit. And okay. I put back my entrepreneur hat on here if I'm putting in, I'm just going to use round numbers, $10 million. Mm-hmm. And you know, what, I'm not getting the results I need to get, then you know, that's my that's my dollar amount that I'm out like, uh, okay, I'm mm-hmm. done at 10 million, and I'm not going to put any more money into it. And that's part of the challenge that I have heard from researchers, you know, in, in engaging pharma, is that they once they hit that spend, and they don't see the results, then they pull out because they're for profit and they've, they've lost their return on their initial investment. They know they're not going to get it back because they don't want to fund any further research or any further clinical studies into that drug development because they've already hit that number. Right. So it's frustrating, right? Like, so, yeah. you know, that's like a secondary piece, I think, to this that, you know, we really have struggled in this space and pancreatic cancer space and engaging pharma. Um, again, uh, I think there's some doctors and researchers that are trying to work with pharma. Um, and I know there's some instances where, you know, pharma is now providing certain researchers like, hey, here's the formulation of this drug, go at it. They, they have them sign like uh, agreements that, you know, if they do, in fact, figure it out, then, you know, pharma gets a gets, I think, first right of refusal of, of producing the drugs. 
Um, but, you know, they, they've kind of like washed their hands of like the investment and they give it to the university or the, the doctor at the, the scientist at the university, I should say, to let him, you know, tinker with it in the lab with his mice and try to figure out this concoction if it actually works or if it can get it to work. So some of that's happening, but again, not enough, right? Like yeah. we, we don't have like the scaling of that and, you know, there's not enough of that work being done. So that's, that's a huge challenge. Those are huge challenges in why the space is where it is. Yeah. It's, it's funny you say that because like something my dad always says is he's like when his dad got sick and he lost his dad to cancer, prostate cancer, not pancreatic, but that was 40 plus years ago. And he always says, he's like, I vividly remember sitting in Sloan with my brothers and my brother Peter saying, you know, at least this won't be something we have to worry about because by the time right. we're older, can't, there'll be a cure. Like Thinking. there's no way we're going to have to worry about cancer. And it's like, my dad's like, I'm walking into Sloan 50 years later. Like this yeah. just doesn't make sense when it's like there's so many people getting sick. There's so many, there's so much research that can be done. You have human beings who are getting diagnosed with cancer every single day that you can try things on and try different things. And yeah. it's just, it, I agree, it's just really frustrating. And with pancreatic cancer specifically, in terms of the awareness piece, like I can definitely say, I didn't even know what a pancreas did. Like yeah. I did not even know what a pancreas was. I probably learned about it in biology in middle school. But I remember when I heard it being like, what is that? Like, yeah. I and you Google, and it's, of course, the worst possible thing you could Google. But there's really no awareness unless you're personally impacted, affected. affected by it, or you know someone who's yeah. been affected by it. People don't really know pancreatic cancer. It's just not one of those diseases. Alex Trebek definitely like brought more awareness to it. But when you compare it to like breast cancer, prostate cancer, uh, blood cancers, like mm -hmm. leukemia, lymphoma, it's so different. It's just so different. Even colon cancer, like, yeah, I mean, I've had multiple family members like affected by cancer, but it wasn't, I didn't know anything about pancreatic cancer. I didn't even, and similar, I didn't know where the pancreas was. Right. I didn't know what, because I think it's also very easy to be like, oh, breast cancer, oh, brain cancer. Cause like everybody knows where your brain is and what it does. Right. And it's, it's also like when you say in terms of early detection and what makes pancreatic cancer so dangerous is there aren't really symptoms. So you know as a woman, like... Right, you're checked you're every checked year. And yeah. I think a lot of the cancers, there's a lot of... There's a lot of stuff you can do to Colon cancer, you get a colonoscopy exactly. over the age of 50. Yeah. Where I think with PC, it's not discussed what, what you can do unless you have a family member who's been impacted by it. Yeah. And, I mean, you've mentioned early detection multiple times now, and want how it's such a big issue the lack of it what do you think you know how can individuals kind of take steps toward early detection or you know how can we improve upon this yeah so th this is a that's a great question and and clearly to both of your points here you know early detection is really critical right and we know we we just know with all cancers statistically the sooner you get any cancer that it's detected mm -hmm. you're longevity goes up, your survivability, um, your quality of life goes up, all, all those go up, right? 
and so that's the challenging piece with this disease. So we have been really invested, I would say, in the last five years in early detection. And, you know, we originally started a small program out at the University of Nebraska Medical Center. Um, we've worked with them for years. Nebraska's in the middle of the country. I don't know how many of your listeners. I know this is New York. <laughs> Shout but, out to Nebraska. You know? Shout out to Nebraska. They've got a great team there doing some great things for pancreatic cancer research. Yeah. Um, and, and they're they're known worldwide. Um, there is a direct flight on LaGuardia, uh, out of LaGuardia straight into Omaha, just FYI. Wow. Great place to be. On Delta. The I New Yorkers that. are going to Nebraska. To <laughs> That's it. You, got, you guys, we'll do an episode. We'll get to to Omaha we go. Yeah. So, um, so we started, we started talking with the group out there though, um, about early detection and, you know, it's really tricky, right? And there's a lot going on. There's, there's been a lot of talk, I think over the last five years about blood tests, mm -hmm. there's some like, diagnostic stuff, but nothing really has worked. Right. And, and this is the tricky thing, because when you look at other cancers, you mentioned breasts, right? Breasts, you yep. can touch, you can feel, you can feel lumps, you can do mammograms, colon cancer, you can do colonoscopies, right? They, they knock you out. They go, they check you out. Yeah. You know, they do the whole procedure. Prostate cancer, there's a, there's a blood test that tells you where your PSA is. Testicular cancer, you can feel, you know, like, so certain cancers, they're really, really good at early detection. Pancreatic cancer, we've never really figured it out. And we still really struggle with that. But the one thing that's happened also in the last like five years that's really been a positive, I think, for all cancers is genetics, right? And so genetics, we know worldwide that there are certain people that have certain genes that those genes are responsible for certain cancers, pancreatic cancer being one of them, right? Um, so when we started to talk to the group in Nebraska about this idea of early detection, you know, we had all these things on a whiteboard and, and, you know, I go back to, from an entrepreneur, um, when I, when I started my previous business, before I started Project Purple, I was in the insurance business, financial services, and everything was all about return on investment, right? Mm -hmm. If we took a client's money, what's the return on investment? That's what really where the rubber meets the road. And I've always kind of taken that philosophy here at Project Purple to the degree is like, all right, if we if we promise that we're going to help find a cure and help patients, what is our donors return on their money? Like we have to have like, we have to have a measuring stick, right? We just can't take money and then just, and, and not to go off on a segue, but when I started Project Purple, I kind of, I, I did a lot of research on a lot of things, but the research thing was really fascinating to me because I was seeing groups and, and this is just all cancer that would just give, and I would ask the questions. I was like, why do you give to that certain doctor? Like, what's your return? Like, what are you getting back? If you give money to a doctor, are you just getting like press PR? Like what, what, what are you actually getting? Right. So when, so when we started our research program, we kind of took that return on our investment philosophy. Like what can a doctor do? What can they help quantify for us that we can then share with our donors, like, hey, we gave this guy $100,000. Here's the results of that. Now, it may not lead to a test or a cure, but it could lead to these three things or these four things and, in, and continue the research or get him more money. So our return on investment, we made a $100,000 investment. This guy or this researcher was able to then get a half a million dollars. Well, wow, that's, that's pretty amazing. That's a great return, right? That's five times the money we gave them to continue the research that hopefully potentially could lead to a cure early test. 
So when we looked at early detection with the group in Nebraska, we started to think about, you know, um, what could we do that we can get return on investment? And we, it, we zoned in on this genetic piece because the genetic piece, we know, it, I say we, but science knows that if you have these genetic mutations, your odds go up. And if you can put those people in surveillance, study them, get them in every year, do some sort of diagnostic testing, take blood, you're going to do a lot of things. One is you're going to catch cancers early on, but two, you're going to make people more heightened and aware of their bodies. And also, I think Mariana, you mentioned it, the symptoms are super vague, right? right? But now if you're screening and surveillance and you get a backache that's abnormal or you lose 10 pounds when mm -hmm. you're not right. pounds, guess what? You're going to call that team. You're going to call your doctors right away. And we hope that we catch these cancers early on. So that's what we started in Nebraska uh, back in 2018. We started this high-risk early detection clinic um, looking at people that have these genetic risks. Uh, BRCA is one of them. It's probably the most common. BRCA is also oh. responsible for breast cancer. Um, so that that was kind of the easy one, right? Like finding that, um, that mix of people. And if you look at pancreatic cancer, 10% of the pancreatic cancer cases are from some sort of genetic mutation. So that's pretty high, um, you know? And so that's how we've gone through early detection is really trying to find high-risk populations that have these genes that potentially will become pancreatic cancer at some point. But putting those people through screening and surveillance, meeting with them yearly, um, checking in with them and making sure that they are aware of the risk, but then also just following them, you know, through this process and, and hopefully catching cancers early on. Right. Yeah. And before we move into, I guess, a lighter note on with our <laughs> rapid fire questions, what first, what advice would you have to somebody either going through PC themselves or to family members who um, have someone affected by it? Um, and then the alternative, how can people get involved with Project Purple? What are different steps they can take? So I, I think the advice would be uh, stay off the internet, number one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if, if you're diagnosed or if you have someone in your family, stay off the internet. Um, and, and I'm being serious about that because the internet can be a very black Dark, and yeah. place, right? Um, the other thing is, I mentioned the statistic, 11%, right? There is no doctor and no one out there that can tell a person that they are not part of that 11%. And so I, I just want to, you know, if, if someone is diagnosed, um, you know, there are plenty of groups, there's us, there's Pancan, there's Lust Garden, there's Let's Win, there's Hirschberg, there's so many groups, there's actually 54 groups in the United States that are at this thing, some are bigger than others, and some mm -hmm. are smaller than others, but find a group locally, nationally, that you can lean on um, that fits with you. Some of them are, they're all different, right? They all have different missions. Right. Um, we do a lot with endurance sports. We do running, we do CrossFit, we do spinning, cycling, golf. We, we've got all these sorts of awareness events, right? And, and, you know, some people, you know, will gravitate to certain groups. So find a group. They all have great resources. Um, and, 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 you know, don't do it alone. Um, yeah. But also know that, you know, don't give up hope because, I know the picture is painted very grim because of the statistics, 
but there's there's no one out there that can tell you and say that you're not part of that 11%. And I think that's a narrative that we have to change a bit with this disease. Yeah. You cannot give up hope because right. there is hope and there is things happening. And as I said before about entrepreneurship, it's not it's the same thing with cancer. Like it's not about being on top. It's like when you get knocked down, you got to get back up, right? And and find the next treatment. And there's a lot happening. That's a positive. There is a lot happening. There's a lot with awareness groups, there's a lot of clinical trial stuff happening. So the longer you're in the game, the better the opportunity for getting that wonder drug that might be the difference. Right. Um, in terms of finding out about Project Purple and what we do, I mentioned some of the stuff already. The best place is, you know, follow us on social, mm -hmm. go to our website, which is projectpurple.org. Uh, but naturally, we're on all social channels, even now TikTok, because uh, I know TikTok is all the rage now. <laughs> yeah. A certain group, a uh, certain demographic. Uh, but so, yeah, we're everywhere. Facebook, Instagram, uh, Twitter, and uh, I think it's still called Twitter. Yeah. 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 yeah not <laughs> yet. I think Elon got it yesterday. So never I, know. I heard this. I heard this morning. It might be called X very soon. Yeah. But, uh, oh, so Twitter slash X. <laughs> yeah. So and yeah, you have a podcast. And we do have a podcast. Yes. So yeah, as you can tell. So uh, and the podcast is a great resource. You know, someone diagnosed. Uh, we have a, a hundred, over a hundred survivors that we've talked to over the last uh, almost five years, talking about their journey and, and what they've gone through and what they've done. And it's become a great resource for someone and, and also families that have been recently diagnosed, you know, dealing with someone who's been recently diagnosed as well. Yeah, I have to say, like, I mean, we've been involved with a, a few different organizations and not to plug myself, but I did find Project Purple. Like whenever my family's like, which one? I'm like, uh, it's me. It was me. <laughs> but um, something that, I mean, the reason why we've stuck around and stayed so involved with Project Purple specifically, I think is I, from, I think a day after I reached out to you guys, you called me personally on the phone. And wow. you don't get that experience. Like I remember I was sitting in my internship and I picked up and you were like, yeah, I'm the founder and CEO. I was like, oh, wow. <laughs> but you don't get that experience at a lot of other nonprofit organizations. It's not as personal. It's not as personal. And I think even everyone in my family would agree. We've just, it, Project Purple has a very family vibe to it. We've, we've met so many people through it. We've met so many other survivors. And I think it's great to be able to compare stories and also for people who are recently diagnosed or families that are newer to the disease to see these cases of people making it and making it past five years and surviving and it's it's hope so I think that's why it is important to get involved in organizations especially when you're impacted by it um, because you do get hope and you meet other people and you relate to other people who've gone through it. And it helps build the awareness. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay, so before we wrap up, we're going to do some rapid fire Yes, on a lighter questions. note. Since you're Italian-American, as am I, we, and this is our food segment, there'll be, you'll notice a trend in the rapid fire questions. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay, first, favorite cuisine? Italian. Okay. <laughs> What would your last meal on this planet be? So hard. I, I'm gonna go with my, and I gotta, I gotta give a plug to my mom. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I was just in Italy for July, and my aunt's food is is very, very, very good. 
uh, but I can't disrespect my mom. I would say her her um, so she makes on gnocchi. Mm-hmm. So I would say her homemade gnocchi would be my favorite, wow. um, or maybe her homemade cavatelle. Like it's a toss up between the cavatelle. <laughs> she does this cavatelle and broccoli, which is like I don't know how she gets her broccoli so soft. So it'd either be that the cavatelle or broccoli or the the homemade gnocchi. Okay, wow. both sound great. Um, sweet or savory? I'm gonna go savory. Okay. Favorite restaurant in the city and then also Connecticut for any of our Connecticut listeners. So there is, I don't have a, I don't have a favorite. um, I know, favorite's so hard. (laughs) So there is a new restaurant in the city that I will be trying out next week that I had in Miami. They have a sister restaurant in Miami. It's called KYU. Um, Oh oh my my God. God. We're going there next Friday. Yeah. And we're trying it. Is that when you're going? I'm going next Friday. Stop. So it is, I've eaten the one in Miami and it was one of my ultimate eating experiences other than family, right? Because I have traditional Italian. And so I would say the restaurant that I have eaten at the Perry Club down in Soho, give my boy Brandon uh, the the pasta king, uh, pasta by Hudson, a little plug. That is very good. And it is very good Italian. Um, Connecticut. Uh, I don't have a favorite restaurant in Connecticut. Um, it's so hard when you when you have traditional Italian food. It's just at home. Hard. Yeah. It's hard. Really so hard. your Connecticut would be your mom's kitchen. Yes, exactly. <laughs> awesome. Well, Dino, thank you so much for joining us. Thank this was you. Great. Um, thank you. And we'll see you hopefully next Friday. We'll see you next you. Friday. <laughs>